Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Noise Podcast as part of the Noise Podcast Network and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. Today, me and Pew record and talk about the new Slipknot album that is due at the end of this week, The End So Far. We discuss the band and the album itself. Well worth a listen, especially in the circumstances surrounding the record as well. Please follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast, at Noise UK. Follow us on YouTube, give us a comment, a like, tell a friend, please review us on Spotify, all that good stuff. It makes such a massive difference to us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much and enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 116 of the Noise Podcast, part of the Noise Podcast Network and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I am joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Does feel like a while since we did one, Sam, uh, but how are we? We're well, we're well. Has it been a month since we reviewed Parkway? Two or three weeks since we reviewed Parkway, so it does feel weird. Uh, but this Slipknot album comes out, then we've got uh, Lamb of God within what another week. <laughs> so it feels like it's been a month, but we're getting straight back on the bandwagon anyway. So this Slipknot review happens, and then within a week, we're sitting back in these in this chair <laughs> talking about Lamb of God. So uh, the albums start coming and they don't stop coming. <laughs> um, Smash Mouth reference for those taking notes at home. Um, obviously, Slipknot and Smash Mouth fans coalesce. I'm certain that they certainly end up in the same Venn diagram. Oh, yeah, there's there's one guy that's buzzing right now. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a great Smash reference. <laughs> uh, we are a rock and metal podcast uh, available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever you get your podcast, me and Sam will be there. The best way to support us is to like, subscribe, or follow, depending on whichever service you are using. Also, uh, tell a friend about us. That is a great way of spreading the word for us as well. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast, and you can follow the main Noise Twitter handle at Noise UK. As you can see from the title of this episode, uh, today we are discussing the brand new Slipknot record, The End So Far. Sam, uh, I don't see any reason why we should pause. I think we should uh, get straight into this review. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, so uh, The End So Far is Slipknot's seventh uh, studio record. It's out on September 30th via Roadrunner Records. It's said to be uh, their last release on the label. I don't think it's necessary for us to do the usual big contextual discussion background that we usually do uh, for album reviews, Sam, when it comes to Slipknot. We don't need to talk about Slipknot context, really. I'm fairly certain anyone that's watching this review has a fairly good idea of the background of Slipknot and what they have meant to heavy metal uh, in the 21st century. But I think what we could do, Sam, and something you alluded to before we started recording, is just speak about the importance and gravitas of this being Slipknot's last release on Roadrunner, because they have been symbiotic, haven't they, since 1990. They were signed in 1990. Nine, I believe. Or I believe so. The end, or possibly the end. I believe of so. I think regardless, might feet might kill repeat wasn't wasn't on. Right, yeah, I think might, it was like yeah, it's like a. It's referred to as like a demo album. Now, might feet mm. kill repeat. Um. So yeah, let, let's talk about that. Roadrunner and Slipknot have been symbiotic uh, in terms of their workings and in terms of what Slipknot have achieved across the metro, the metal, and the rock spectrum over the last twenty-two years. So. I don't want to talk about the verbiage around uh, Slipknot's original um, kind of teasing of this album with the montage of historical moments in Slipknot and then calling the album the end so far. I think there was a some somewhat of a purposeful red herring uh, there. But let's talk about the fact of final Slipknot release on Roadrunner. It's important, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think when you discuss, um, when we get into like some of the interviews that the band have given already about the album and stuff that you sent me, that Revolver Mag piece with Jim Root and stuff, it's definitely played into um, the production of the album and the, their approach to the album. Um, it's human nature here. Um, if you're about to quit a job in the last three months, you kind of stop staying late and you kind of yeah. stop doing the extra little bits and things like that. And um, without going too far into the, the actual review itself, I do think it's significant, but I do think it also contextualizes um, what does feel the final interactions between a band and label that have decided that their relationship is no longer functional. I'd be curious. I think the best way for us to determine the process around the recording of the end so far is to be in about eight to 16 months time when the band start talking about the album retroactively. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, I actually wrote this in my notes as well. Yeah, I, I would be very curious to know the process of writing, recording and curation of this album with Roadrunner and their representatives, because something tells me that that's been something of a strange process uh, and a, a strange and strained process when you actually listen to the album and when you listen and read a interview that Jim Root gave to Revolver Mag, which I am going to talk about with you in a moment. So it is a symbiotic, uh, their relationship. It is strange to see ending. Uh, by the sounds of this, it's a good, it's a, the right time to end it if this is where things uh, were currently going. And I think, Sam, the, the best thing for us to do before we start talking about the record, I mentioned this to you in passing when we were here at Machine Head a couple of weeks ago. Is this, has it been 18 years, Sam, since Slipknot released a great album? If we think about Volume 3 came out in 2004. Okay, there's only been three albums since in that 18-year period. So it's hardly like Slipknot have been just on a, on a revolving kind of um, conveyor belt of releasing records every couple of years. So there's only been three since. So it's not like I'm saying that Slipknot have become the worst band in metal. But is, has it been 18 years, Sam, since Slipknot released a great album? Great, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I thought All Hope Is Gone was good. Yeah, I like All Hope Is Gone. It's not it's not great, but I, I like it. It's good. Yeah, there are like three really good tunes on there, I think. Geomatch with a Killing Name is good. Uh, Dead Memories is good. Psychosocial is good. Snuff is um, weird. Uh, and the rest of it's sort of, sort of quite passable. But Volume 3 is a great album. And um, as we'll get into the album, they appear, their last three records at times have felt like the ceiling of those records has been, this could be an album track on Volume 3. That's the way that I feel about listening to their their material at the moment, and um, yeah, just yeah, it's it's hard, it's hard to say this about about a band like Slipknot that are so so well loved and admired and respected and all the sort of rest of it, but it, it's true. Um, they have released three great albums that came one after the other. Well, I don't think Slipknot have ever released a bad album until perhaps one we're about to discuss. Uh, I, I, I don't think Slipknot have ever released a bad album. I, I, I really liked We Are Not Your Kind. I liked The Grey Chapter. I liked All Hope Is Gone. So I don't feel like Slipknot ever released a bad album. But as, as you mentioned, that triumvirate of self-titled Iowa Volume 3 is, is pretty much post-late post 80s, mid-90s, 
that's as good as it gets really for metal over the last 27 years for me. Um, that that triumvirate in terms of in terms of uh, metal moving into the mainstream and metal moving into a metal band moving into superstar status, I think that's absolutely uh, as good as it's gotten for us in terms of superstar status metal band. I have I, I was curious about what our, what our uh, Twitter followers thought of this, so I met I put up a poll for people to vote on when they thought Slipknot's last great record is, and this is in no way symbolic of what everyone or, or the, the 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 general Slipknot audience thinks. But it is a nice little snapshot. Uh, volume 3 got 38% as the winner, as the last great Slipknot album. Interestingly, We Are Not Your Kind uh, was second with 30%. So We Are Not Your Kind was actually only a few, was like what, 8% behind Volume 3. Uh, All Hope Is Gone came in third at 21%, and Grey Chapter came in a fourth at 11%. And then we started to get some some really quite interesting takes on when Slipknot's last great record was. I'm just going to read a few of these out, Sam, because I think some of these are really apt and I'd like to discuss with a couple of them. Um, Tim the Enchanter, uh, also known as Tim Belito, uh, our good friend, he mentioned that all those albums have decent moments, but Volume 3 was the last time I think Slipknot gave us a perfect record. I'm not sure I'd go for perfect on Volume 3, but I, I certainly believe it's a great record. Um. Mosh, uh, Mosh Junk uh, said that Volume 3 was essentially perfect, but We Are Not Your Kind showed a group that had put together some incredible music despite navigating some pretty new circumstances for them. Red Flag was also the heaviest thing they'd written in a long time too. In a lot of ways, I agree with that, by the way. Uh, Red Flag uh, goes absolutely hard. <laughs> a, a really interesting take here uh, by uh, the Bollinger Escape Plan. They've lost their edge, unfortunately. The first and best album was genuinely unsettling, but as the music has become poppier, it's made their whole aesthetic seem like a cheap gimmick. I think they're a good entry-level band, but that's the only purpose they serve these days. Perhaps quite um, hyperbolic or harsh there, but a good entry-level band, Sam, is that what Slipknot have become? Are we going to are we talk about Slipknot in the same way we would refer to Five Finger Death Punch? No, no. Entry level? Slip, no, because Slipknot were good for five years and Five Finger Death Punch haven't been good for five minutes. No, I mean, um, I, don't, I don't mean in terms of quality. I mean in terms of if you were just getting someone into metal, you would start them on and then they would uh, spread their wings from there and get into more obtuse, um, more uh, he- or heavier stuff. Perhaps, but I think Slipknot have been part of the entry level group of metal for a long time, regardless of what their f- what their modern career holds anyway. Um, most 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 people in the last fifteen years, I would say, Duality is one of the one of the first heavy metal, real modern metal songs that they would have liked, and it feels like the next natural progression after kids that used to get into like Linkin Park and stuff in the early two thousands. It does it doesn't feel too far away. I think I think it's possible that Slipknot have become a legacy band. Mm. Um, let alone well, they are in the fifties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think I think um I think it's fair to say that if you buy a slipknot ticket now you're not necessarily looking to listen to the new music and I feel that um slipknot probably curate set lists where 16 songs are from 1999 to 2005ish and then there are half a dozen um from 2008 onwards. Um, I think that's that's the point that that we've got to now. Um, without getting into the actual review itself, just a couple of things that I wrote at the conclusion of it. Um, I put that 
Um, Slipknot are perhaps now a well-funded but mediocre aging band that is clinging to moments to remind us of 1999-2004. It's easy to forget that with 18 years, masks and inflammatory interviews that could perhaps cover up, up a little bit of the aging process and more of the obvious changes of of members that maybe it's over. The Slipknot is a truly impactful band. They're no longer appointment listening. They get one post Roadrunner record to see if this is an anomaly for me. That's what I put at the conclusion of, of reviewing this record. I think that's kind of apt, and I actually do agree. Pretty much, I, we are perfectly in line with with how I feel about this album. I, I, think, I think the gimmicks and the fancy dress is covered up because I know it sounds really strange, but I think psychologically we don't see them age. We don't. Yeah. We don't see them struggle. Yeah. They're always behind masks. We don't see their members change, and we don't see their dynamic shift. That's like it's behind the curtain, quite literally. Whereas um, yeah. bands of their era, like no one's talking about, like, will Corn release another great album? We're not in that. We're not in that mode. We were talking earlier about how rare it is the Machine Head um, have produced a really good album. When in reality, by most metrics, that time has passed. <laughs> and I think if you know, you take Paul Gray and Joey Jordison out of the band and you t- change the relationship with the label and you do all the sort of things that Jim Root referred to in the interview where that it, it was rushed, to say the least, um, in terms of the, the pre-production and the actual writing of the record, then this, this is this is the this is the production that you get. This is this is the album that you come back with. This is the inevitable process that happens. No, time is undefeated. Well, you mentioned there an interview that Jim Root has done. Uh, Slipknot fans, listeners have probably already seen or heard this, but let's just go into it because I think it's fascinating. For this to come mm. out, for this it to come out, this came out last night, this out. did. <laughs> this came out, like, I saw this last night and I immediately messaged you. I was like, the end so far comes out in four days and Jim Root has done this interview where he's like, I don't know about this album. Like, it was crazy. Um, and yeah, I, I genuinely can't... Softening the criticism, that's what that feels like. I genuinely can't remember this ever happening before. I mean, it probably has happened before, but I can't remember a, a, a band at the scale of Slipknot releasing a, a new album album you know the last on on the literally on the label that they have literally carved their history into metal with i can't remember this ever happening where, where a band has where a band has come out before the album's released and said yeah not big on this one myself uh, let's i'll just i'll just go for this this, this is an interview you can uh, all read on revolvermag.com and speaking recently with music radar guitarist jim root revealed that misgivings about about both the recording process and the final product sentiment that he said slipknot percussionist slash conceptualist i'm sure Clown Cray and shares, at least to some extent. Quote, this is direct from uh, Jim Rude. I felt that we weren't prepared for Joe Barese. Joe Barese is the producer, also known for producing uh, with Tool, Queens of the Stone Age and the Melvins. And I feel like we were not able to use Joe to his full extent. You know what I mean? Root told Root Music Radar. We did not do pre-production. We essentially built this record in the studio and a lot of that was due to COVID and us being separated. And the circumstances led us to do the record the way it was done. This is where I think it gets really interesting now. With my mindset being the way it was, I didn't have a ton of creative input. I felt kind of rushed trying to come up with ideas for this or that arrangement. We weren't rehearsed as a band. We did not know coming, we did not come in knowing the songs top to bottom, and that affected the record. That put us behind schedule. It had us not really arguing or fighting with each other, but trying to figure it out like what is the best way to approach this, knowing that we are doing what we are doing. 
You can make a plan and you can plan as much as you want, but the big clock above your head and the budget from the label and all this stuff, the studio we were at and the, and the scheduling of that, there are so many factors that were against us making this album that I'm surprised we were able to finish it. I mean, I can't believe this. I'll read what this one last uh, paragraph. And then it's taken us so long to get it out to compare to how long it took us to track it. It's like, well, if this has taken this long to get it out, then we could have taken our time with pre-production. And in my mind, put out a better product and that's not to say we're disappointed with what we're putting out it's where we are at it's what we were able to do given the circumstances and the things we had to work with i've got to say sam quite a quite a damning lament on the end so far as creation curation production existence yeah there's also a quote near the bottom of that where it says um, Sean Cryan will say things like, this isn't a Slipknot record, but it is because our name's on it. That's how people will see yeah. it. So they're already planting the, planting the seeds of the fucking main songwriter in Slipknot saying, well, it wasn't really a Slipknot record because of these 10 excuses that we've already got out of there. That is insane. Um, I also appreciate his point about, well, if it's taken this long to put out, why couldn't we have more time in the studio? And B... Big B, why don't they just have as much time as they want in the studio? They're fucking Slipknot. Why don't you just turn around to Slipknot and say, oh, you haven't got enough time to rehearse as a band and the, the songwriting isn't great. No worries, lads. You Slipknot. Take, take three months. Get back together. Work on the band. Rehearse. COVID has hit us. Take some extra time. Roadrunner have got like, we must have this album out by the end of 2022. That's the way that it is. You've got to get in the studio. You've got to get this done. Go, 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 go. And what has come out of it, when you listen to the record, it sounds like that. It sounds like, I was saying to you before, yeah, over the weekend, um, when we had a brief conversation, because we were very careful at tiptoeing around having a real conversation ahead of a podcast so the podcast feels fresh, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do when it's all when when it's the one the main things we like to talk to each other about. Um, but... Um, it feels like I said that someone who isn't Slipknot but is imitating Slipknot is writing an album that they think Slipknot would write. It's like me trying to imitate Charles Dickens writing in a lesson for my English students and just being like, well, you know, here's a bit of humor and loads of description. That's Dickens, right? It's like the band are like, uh, all right, okay, we've got a list of the things that go on a Slipknot record. So let's just get those in. Uh, we've got some marching band stuff. Uh, it's in Drop C. Um, Oh, have you got have you got some angry lyrics? Cool, we've got some angry lyrics. Um, we've got some chor- we've got a bit of choruses here, we've got some laughter, and got some interesting synth sounds in the background. It just feels like it's like slipknot bingo, slipknot painting by numbers. And it's just like, hey, if we just do all this, it'll sound like a slipknot record, right? And then there's no like real care and attention placed on like the individual songs and some of the songwriting decisions. It just feels like like the first decision is the decision that the song has gone with. Like when they're writing tunes together, there's usually like a a real meticulous, not just Slipknot, just in bands in general, there's a real meticulous approach. Like you've interviewed bands as uh, much more than I have, and I've interviewed a fair few myself. The amount that the good bands say that it takes them to write songs and that discussion and piecing things together in that thread that takes place on really expansive material, because I know how important it is, is usually quite astonishing to listen to the way that bands are able to really be microscopic. This doesn't feel like that at all. This feels like a last minute presentation type approach from a band that has like checked out from this process. 
and they just appear to be throwing things at a wall and the first thing that sounds like a Slipknot song will go on the record. I agree. I, I usually there's some kind of back and forth between us. So we, you, you know, we agree, but like perhaps to a different extent. But dude, I, I really, really agree with with pretty much every single thing that you've said there. Which also sometimes kind of makes the I'm we makes the podcast kind of boring. But I, I I can't help but just agree. That's just where I am. Let's just talk about. I'm not going to talk about the singles because you know if you're a Slipknot fan, you've heard the singles. One just quick mention though, and. Um, if you weren't a massive fan of We Are Not Your Kind, you know Unsighted was a banger. If you weren't a massive fan of The Grey Chapter, you know The Devil and I was a banger, right? You know AOV was a banger. You know that Custa was a banger, right? Mm. I listened to the singles on this album, mate, and I was immediately concerned. I was like, this isn't, like, this is a problem, potentially. Because, you know, the, album, the, the first thing I believe was the Chapel Town Rag, which mm. is fine. It's good. It's heavy. It's, it's it's nasty in areas. Nothing, nothing, nothing great to it though. I believe the next song was the, the dying song. It's all yeah. right in it. It's fine, not too bad, and it's it, nothing to write home it? about. Um, Yen, I, I didn't. I don't like Yen, I I don't Yen, like Yen at all. So I, I, I was coming into this. I was like, man, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yen's a single. Yen is. I oh, um, no. I, 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 I came into this album. I was like, man, I, I really hope they're saving this latter half for something special. And Sam, they haven't saved anything special. Let's just talk about it, mate. With the exception of interlude opening tracks, after all, is the worst opening track to a Slipknot album I've ever heard. My own, yeah, it's terrible. My only hope, my only hope that it is considered an interlude track by the band. And it isn't something that they're ever going to perform live at the opening of a gig because that would be a, a terrible idea. Um, they've done stuff where it's like weird opening interlude tracks, like the opening of All Hope is Gone with like the screaming and the ranting where it kind of feels like a song for about 30 seconds. And then obviously with the earlier tracks, uh, like 515 and uh, the track that preludes Sick, which is just a series of numbers, um, they don't, they're deliberately sort of like tracks that lead to riffs and things like that. But yeah. um beyond beyond that, this is just you're right, it's 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 monotonous and slow. And it's lifeless. Um, there's there's not there's lifeless, nothing to yeah. this. Yeah, and it, it repeats, and this is the thing that they, they do a lot on this record. It repeats a chorus, despite the fact that the chorus is not at all good. And they don't modify the chorus at any point in the in the in the in, in the song at all. Um, because the first time I heard the chorus, I was like, okay, they introduced like this backing vocal stuff. And then maybe next time they'll add a bit of weight to it and it grows and grows. And that's like how the song sort of builds, but it doesn't, it just keeps going rotating between one limp section to to another. Um, and really, um, really sets the tone, like most interlude tracks, most overtures sets the tone for the rest of this record. Um, I, 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 I'm just going to come out and say, Chris, this is a bad record. This is a bad Slipknot album. This is the worst Slipknot album they've ever written. Yeah, this is the worst Slipknot album they've ever written. And, and I always say that as someone, Slipknot are one of my 10 favourite bands. I adore Slipknot. Slipknot, yes. everything that I love. Slipknot, everything I love about metal. And that's including the Grey Chapter and We Are Not Your Kind and All Hope Is Gone because I like all of those albums. 
Like I, I love Slipknot. They are absolutely my top 10 favorite bands. I adore them. Seeing them like three or four times, amazing. We'll probably still see them on every tour they do because I, I, I love Slipknot. Uh, this album's bad. This isn't a good album. It's not a good album, this. I, no, we, let's, no, it's not. Let's, um, let's move. Adderall is just this Corey's, Corey's crawling vocal style. He's kind of bland, and there's just very little in that track that draws me in. Less than ideal start to the album. And like I say, with the exception of interlude tracks, it's by far the worst opening song to a Slipknot album. Um by literally a country mile. Let's skip through to Hive Mind. Uh, Hive Mind for me is the atypical, the atypical example of the crux of this album because Jay Weinberg will deliver this really solid drum fill performance. Jim and Mick will prop up the rhythm with rough and tumble and some intricate riffs. Corey will drop in with some really nice scathing vocals. But when it comes time for the ideas to coalesce in the chorus, things just fall like absurdly flat. Yes. And like, and like this track, go anywhere. this track really deserves a better chorus because there are decent, there are really decent moments on Hive Mind. And what, what I do want to say is the best 30 seconds of the end so far is the closing breakdown of Hive, Hive Mind that leads into the opening slide riff of Warranty, the following song. That's the best 30 seconds on the album, and that's the slipknot that I want. But Sam, I've got to look at a microcosm of the album there for 30 seconds to tell you something that I really enjoyed. There really isn't much else on this album that I listened to and found any kind of real enjoyment out of. And I'm not sure that's coming from a perspective of me just being a jaded, jaded old time slipknot fan. I think that's coming from a perspective of me just being a me just being a metal fan. And I'm listening to this album, it's just doing nothing for me. And I adore Slipknot. And it's like I'm like gutted about it because I love them. This album. Man. Yeah, I, I I agree with you as well. Um, the the riff in the final thirty seconds of this is great. Uh, it's the first moment that feels like a hint of the Slipknot gore. Um, that's yep. just used to used to pulse through their albums, and now it just feels like a fleeting memory. Um, like when you used to watch like R Nine do a step over, and it's like, oh, he's back, or like you'd see Totti yeah. get free kick before wheezing around Roma Stadium for seventy five minutes. And like, oh yeah, but he's thirty nine. <laughs> Um, and it's it's kind of it's kind of like that. It's like there's like a little flashing moment, like a um, like a little little tug at what they used to be, and that it just sort of goes away. Um, because the opening of Warranty made me a little bit optimistic because it felt a bit more metal in that moment. Nice pause for the percussion mm. hitting for the verse, but again, where's the choruses? That there aren't there aren't any. Um, I, th- I thought they would at least attempt at um, some ambition in the middle of Warranty with like this middle section with like a big chorus going on behind like a group vocal and then uh then when they, they realized they didn't know how to conclude the song we went back to military drums while Corey was giggling to a microphone it's like cool we've been we've been there before and it's back to slipknot by numbers um i was i was really hopeful in the opening of medicine for the dead because i thought that as was i opening, as was i the synth opening i thought that that riff is really nice it's like a really compelling really catching just proper simple riff that could be the basis of a really good tune. And then there's like a nice heavy groove at the start, nice palm to transition. I felt hopeful at the outset. I like a lot of what's going on here. Um, I didn't mind the chorus. Like I said, it's that descending kind of, and I was like, okay, that's fine, but we need to have something else going on the next time you play this chorus. 
So I like the symbols and the stuff in the verses and then the chorus come back again, which is identical. I'm like, all right, please, maybe there's a third chorus when they change it up a little bit. They don't. They repeat the chorus, I want to say four times. They do four bars worth of the chorus, the conclusion, where it just keeps going back again, like on a loop. And there's nothing that changes. There's no tempo change. There's no key change. There's no riff modification. Um, When you write a song, I, I, I can't believe I'm even saying this. Like I'm trying to mansplain to someone how to write a song. But like like with no songwriting experience that even remotely matters. But when, when you're playing a chorus like four times that repetitively, most songs change an element of that chorus to keep the lead listener interested, whether that's um, even slight changes, whether like um, they pause one of the instruments for the vocal to start the chorus and then the instruments come in later, or they change a riff behind the chorus so it just feels different, or the drummer changes the drum beat so it goes from half time to sort of full time to just sort of reach this crescendo. Something happens in a repeated chorus to change that, and I sp- that happens in lots of very good choruses to keep things interesting. This is like a ringtone. It just loops over yeah. and over and over again. And I lose interest. I'm like, do something else. Because the chorus is okay, just do something else. And then I listened to listen to Acidic, which I was like, please, please be called this because it's a really heavy song and it's going to be sharp. And it it's kind of black metal and grandiose for about 15 seconds. I'm like, okay. And then immediately it's like, here's the verse and it just loses all of the intensity. Well, I, it's funny you should mention that because I, I, my kind of now is for acidic was the Corey shows off his vocal range, which has never stopped impressing me. And regardless of the moments where I fit where Corey isn't interesting me on this album, his range is always like something impressive. But I literally wrote on, I literally wrote for the notes here, similarly to what precedes and what follows this song, where does it all go? Like the, the album just is so often just deflating. Mm. Like, There'll there'll be these moments of like you're really trying to find interest. You're like right, okay, interesting, doing something a little bit different. There'll be like on medicine for the dead, and you know multi instrumentalism. Yeah, okay, multi percussionism. Yeah, great, sounds good. And um, where, where are we going to go with this? And then it'll just be something that's completely middle of the road and flat. And it just man, it just takes. It, it is honestly, it's like this album just throws like stumbling blocks at your enjoyment just to see how many you can jump over and still stick around for the ride. And heirloom, oh my heirloom, apart from the opening drum fill from Jay Weinberg, literally, what else is there to say about heirloom? It's a stone sewer song, honestly. I, I, used, to that, I used to hate that song, I used to hate that. He doesn't, like even, he doesn't say, even scream, oh, slip, not, slip, not just stone sewer masks. I used to hate that. I used to hate when people are sitting not just stone sewer with masks now. I used to really, really grind my gears. I used to think that was such a limp, weak criticism. But honestly, mate, heirlooms, heirlooms, rough, man. Like, heirlooms is a difficult listen. I, I was listening to heirlooms. I was like, man, what's happening here, man? This ain't, this isn't good. Um, Time filler. It's, 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 that's one of the worst songs on the record. It's, oh, it's right. so obvious yeah. a throwaway song. So yeah. obviously a throwaway song. That it's man, like they it's... wrote that in 18 hours. Um, they wrote that in 18 hours, man, I'm certain. All yeah, minutes. probably recorded it and fucking <laughs> tracked it as well in that amount of time by the sounds of things. And like you get to H37, bit of a group vocal and the Corey's rapping again, which again feels like, um, have we tried rapping uh, for a bit? No, we haven't done that for a bit. We should give that a go. Um, oh, you think it's the best okay. age track on the album now, H377? Yeah, it's... um cool 
Uh, it just feels like they said to each other, should we try a heavy one? Like when you take a picture at a beach and someone suggests, should we do a silly one? And everyone just gives it a go for a bit. Um, it maybe maybe it's in the context of the album that it's particularly disappointing. Um, it just it just feels like a, a, a just stab in the dark, and I was hoping that it was just better. Um, man, um, man, it's it's not good, dude. It it's it's not good. It's <laughs> some of the hours and the moments on these songs are they just really problematic. Um, decide. Watch Happy Gil. Watch Happy Gilmore, where he's like, "There's one problem, Happy. You're just not any good." Like that, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's problem, what this yeah. feels. That's what this feels like. There's one problem, Slipknot. You know, it's not any good. Like this isn't good. Dissard gives me physical pain. I <laughs> I, I don't like. I, I don't like Dissard at all. And again, this is going yeah, from, like uh, it gives me physical pain because I love them. It, it gives me physical pain because I love the band, and I I, I just what I just want so much more for them. And then when we come to the end of the record, mate. I remember when I first saw the track listing for this album and I saw it's called The End So Far. At that point, it wasn't particularly clear what that was signifying. Obviously, now we know it's just signifying the end of their relationship with Roadrunner. But I thought, final song, finale. Wow. You know, this could be like this really grandiose, huge send-off for Slipknot. And even when I found out that the album was not, it wasn't the end of Slipknot, it was just the end of their relationship with Roadrunner. I was still thinking, wow, the, the label, that the, the, the major label that took a chance on them, the major label that they've, as I mentioned earlier, carved into the history of heavy metal with, here we go, final songs we call Finale. Shoulder shrug, uh, nothing much going on, just bland, kind of dull, just disappointing, Sam. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great at all. It's really sad, actually. Um, there's there's like occasional moments um, with the nice strings, nice little neat melody at the opening song by Taylor. And then once again, I'm like, he's not going to repeat the same lyric for four minutes, is he? They're not going to do the same thing every chorus, are they? And then they do exactly that. There's no ingenuity. There's no intensity. There's no... Oh, there's no effort. Where it doesn't appear that they've tried. If you take out the money and the budget, that's what's trussing this up. This is like a Lamborghini without an engine. You know, it's well made and it's put together nicely and it's well mixed and all the drums sound decent and the but it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't serve a purpose. It's it's so disappointing. It's so disappointing. Like I said at the top when I said the, the final bits, I just came away from that thinking that that's it's just well funded bad it's just it's mediocre it, the product is is lacking and they know it clearly that's the sentiment of the band they know it but even having the having the finale having the the, the temerity to call a song like that finale and to to put this grandiose feeling around the album and and, and to give it some significance and then produce this is insulting frankly um, for a band like you say, like Slipknot, that were taking a chance on a by Roadrunner, and, and yes, you know, in the history of band versus record label, you shouldn't really take record label very often on the side of that, um, because 
the history of music suggests that the band are often cheated by the record label and you know it's worker versus employer and depends politically what side you're on but it's kind of hard to side with the record label so often however if you're a record label executive for Roadrunner and you get the bill and then you listen to the record how are you not really annoyed that you feel a little bit betrayed uh, a little bit let down um because this is like paying for a filet mignon steak and the guy comes up with a corned beef sandwich and says, well, it's beef, isn't it? What the fuck's your problem? And it's it's the same same situation here. Well, it looks like Slipknot. It's got Slipknot's name on it. It's got Slipknot's songwriters on it. But I don't know, when I fucking press play, that doesn't sound like Slipknot to me. Um, But it costs the same as Slipknot. And it, it's just so... Oh, man. Like, it's just off. It's not right. It's just... A fitting conclusion... Um, where really, aside from moments of nostalgia, this feels like a Marvel film doing a Slipknot album, where it's just well-made, unstructured bullshit and doesn't do anything for anybody, including, by the sounds of it, the band members themselves. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, man, I'm a massive Slipknot fan. I'm a massive metal historian. And this is just this is just really disappointing. And it may it may not it may be an anomaly when they come out of their post roadrunner independent. We're gonna do it ourselves thing. We don't need creative input. We're gonna spend three years on a record and be really meticulous. And maybe the next Slipknot record in twenty twenty five is incredible. Yeah, and they have time, and they have songwriters, and they can do their own thing. And they don't have to answer to anybody. But also. On the flip side of that, when was the last time they had to answer to anybody anyway? Oh, I don't um, think they've had to answer to anyone since Duality came out. Right, so I'm not really going to sit here and think, oh, somebody's talked them into that. No, uh, they've just stopped putting out material that they really care about because you can either take one of two stances from this, future Slipknot interviewees. Um, you can sit and be honest and say, look, man, we were rushed. We didn't like the record label anymore. We put out something just to get rid of it. Bands do that a lot when they're being pushed by record labels historically to put out loads of albums. They just put something out to get off the label and move forward. If you tell me that, I'll accept it. And then if the next album's great, we don't we don't worry about it. It's just a, a footnote on the history of one of the greatest bands of all time. But if you give me any shit about like, oh, well... Um, we were pushed by the record label to write some songs that we felt were mediocre and all that stuff. Don't give me that horseshit, bro. Don't do that to me. Um, because um, we as a collective are smarter than that. Um, as many times as Corey Tyler can be like, what? You you didn't think that we were finishing, did you? <laughs> Despite the fact that everything had the words the end written all over it for the first six months leading up to this album. Um, and just because we haven't said that it sounds as heavy as Iowa, that means that you shouldn't expect it to be any good. Obviously, we lowered your expectation of, in the first place, idiots. And it's like, I don't, don't give me that because um, you can do that if you keep bringing out really good material. Um, you've lost the right to do that for a little bit. And then when you're on your own, you can figure out a new record. Um, because fine, um, maybe they're just this part of their career as well now where we just look at Slipknot and like I say, they're a legacy band and we should do that thing that me and you always argue about where you say, maybe we should just stop expecting good material. And I'm like, oh, you can't do that. And we we have this back and forth, but maybe this is where we can stop expecting good material. And it's just a, a reason for them to, to see them live and hear, you know, before I forget and stuff. Um, but this, in conclusion, this, this song, this final song is a appropriate microcosm on the rest of the record an appropriate metaphor for where Slipknot appear to be right now 
which is a below average, disappointing, but well-funded um, metal band. It's, man, it's bad new metal with really good PR. It's Five Finger Death Punch with better PR. Do you think they're bored? Yeah. The same board sounds, to me. The same board, board to me. Yes, it sounds board. like it sounds like they don't enjoy what they're doing. It, it also it also it's really hard to be as angry as you need to be to produce sick not material if your life isn't going that badly. I always yeah. use the I always use the Eminem example. As his life got better, his songs got worse. Yeah, and then when his life went off the rail again, he came out with Relapse, which is like one of his best albums of the last ten years. Like, but and, and that's and that, I'm not a rap music fan, but that's but like you look at the you look at the reviews <laughs> by every metric, he was like amazing, 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 millionaire shit, drug problem, relapse, incredible album. Then his life's going great again, and guess what? Last two albums are tin. Um, but that's that's a secondary conversation. Bands as intense and dark as Slipknot tend not to. It's just human nature. Okay, you write songs of real depth and darkness if you if your life's going better. But that being said. I've also gone through tragedy and humongous change and turmoil. So that should be enough for a record as well. I can chase my I can chase my tail on this forever and ever and ever. But maybe we do just come back to the fact that this is really tough to do consistently. They've given us three of the greatest modern metal albums ever. Probably the greatest three album run in metal ever. Um, at least in the last 20 or 30 years. Maybe we should just say thank you and just that's it. It's interesting for me to kind of decipher where I am with Slipknot because they're one of my favourite bands because that triumvirate of records means so much to me because I love love them so much. To hear them like this, to hear such mediocrity uh, really bothers me. And it's not something that I ever truly expected. I honestly thought, before I listened to the singles and the album was announced, I genuinely thought I'd go into an album here and it'd be similar to We Are Not Your Kind. It would have one great, unsainted level song. It would have a couple of really heavy songs, some interesting songs, and some songs I'll I'll forget two minutes after I've played them. As it turns out, there's nothing here that even comes within touching distance of unsainted, which was like the headline single from We Are Not Your Kind and really probably you know one of the best slipknot songs they've released in the in that decade really really great we are unsainted is nothing comes in touching distance of that here it sounds like a band that are oh man come on saying it's about slipknot it sounds like a band that are creatively spent it does it sounds like this could be there this could be their sun anger couldn't it yeah it sounds like a band that are just creatively spent. And, I, and I'm surprised that the album exists three years after We Are Not Your Kind, considering I know that there was extenuating factors for the reason why the Grey chapter took so long to come out. But considering that was six years, uh, considering We Are Not Your Kind was five years after Grey chapter, I'm surprised it was only three. If there was no pandemic, would this album even exist? Like something tells you that because there was a pandemic and because there was no touring, etc., because they couldn't do that big cruise they were going to do, that Not Fest, uh, or not, not Sea, was it? I think it was called Not Sea or Not Fest at Sea, because they couldn't do the Not Fest around the country that we had tickets to that amazing one. Uh, which I'm still kind of salty about that we did that we couldn't go. Sitting on sleep token and bear moth, wasn't it? If I remember rightly. And Megadeth. Oh, 
<laughs> it was obviously it was a bad boy lineup, and obviously mm. it got cancelled because of COVID. I feel like they felt compelled, or perhaps Roadrunner compelled them to write an album like, right, you're not going to make us tour money for the next year and a half. So, um, sounds like a studio job to me. And because of Zoom, guys, guess what? You could write an album over Zoom now. So we don't even need to pay for like you to do pre-recording sessions because you can just write your parts at home and t- and get on a Zoom call and talk about. It. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and because of that. Would this album even exist if there was never a pandemic? Probably not. I don't feel this album comes out until 2024, 2025, if there was no pandemic. And, and I feel like it would be wildly different if so. But in the scenario that we're currently in, we're looking at an album that is creatively bankrupt, uh, that, that, that's really boring to listen to. And with the exception of um, a, a really cool breakdown on Hive Mind, a really cool opening riff on Warranty, some interesting vocal takes from Corey, as always, because Corey's an incredibly talented man. There's just nothing here, man. And imagine saying that about a Slipknot album. I think I think I'm with you, Sam. What you mentioned or alluded to at the start of the episode. I'm going to consider this a dud. I'm going to write it off. Every band has them. Well, 99% of bands have them. It's a dud. Let's write it off. Let's move on to the next one. If the next one's good, we'll just pretend this never happened. It's the dirt on our shoulder that we flick off and continue walking forward. But I think the one of the more most telling things is if Slipknot announced their when Slipknot announced their next UK tour headline the next UK festival, of course I'll want to go. I won't want to hear a single one of these songs live. Now, me and you are sometimes big purveyors of, well, you shouldn't really judge it till you hear it live because the things, things can be massively different live and you'll be amazed how much it fits in with the set list and they can bring the extra dynamics of the live crowd and the lights and, and explosions, etc. Not with this. There's nothing I want to hear from this album live at all. Let's, pre- let's, do it. let's pretend it's a Green Day situation and this album just never happened. Get it out. Uh, the contract with Roadrunner is fulfilled. Uh, they have changed metal forever as a duo, Slipknot and Roadrunner. Let's move on. Let's do something else. Go independent. Go to a different label. Do whatever you want to do. Spend two or three years on an album. Make it better than this. I hope this isn't. I know it's strange because I'm usually I've had the thing of like, well, if after 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 fifty, usually the music stops being good, and we should just stop there. I, I wouldn't want this to be the last album. I don't want this to be the last thing I remember Slipknot for. And I remember just my closing point here. I remember when it was first announced, called the end. So far, that the promo was the was the historical montage of Slipknot. I remember my immediate reaction was, I don't think this will be the last thing they ever do but I'd be happy if it was like 20, like what 23, 24 year history. It's, it's been in terms of like Corey being on board and the true essence of Slipknot 23, 24 year history. They've changed metal forever. They have influenced countless amount of bands that I currently love. They're one of my favorite bands. I'd be happy for them to just say goodbye. Now they're in the fifties and leave it and, and leave it. They can't leave it like this. This can't be the last thing I ever hear from Slipknot. They have to. They have to do something else and and recover from this. Uh, but just a caveat to that point, Sam. Uh, this has got good reviews from Metal, Metal Hammer and the like. Um, so perhaps we are uh, in the minority. I don't know. Yeah. Something tells me that we're not in the minority. I'd be amazed if the if the critical reception and the the on mass reception in terms of fan base reaction to this album is positive. I just don't see what is positive about it. Um uh, with the exception of a, the odd call breakdown. The, well, the, the, the thing is, the, the thing is Sean Cryan's not going to come on this podcast and talk to us if we give a nice review, but he might talk to Mel Hammer. 
We've got, we've got nothing to, we've got nothing, to, we've got nothing to lose. There is that. There is uh, that. Corey Taylor's not going to be like, hey, these guys from Wolverhampton said that it wasn't that good, and he's just going to look at our view count and just not pay attention to us, and that's absolutely, <laughs> yeah. that's absolutely, yeah, definitely, absolutely yeah. fine. Go and and I'll say is if if Corey Taylor ever interrupts this podcast, if it gets this far, which will obviously never happen. If I were you, Corey, I'd just count my gold records, laugh my cock off and watch something else. Like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Your life's amazing. Do what you like. Um, Whatever. If I ever met him in real life, I wouldn't mention this review. I'd tell him how amazing <laughs> the rest of his material was. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to be honest about it. But my job is to talk about this. and This is bad. Um, And if I was writing an article about this and I was putting this into words and I was putting this out there, one of my big, one of my takeaways for the headline or the closing comments would be, Slipknot have become what they always swore they wouldn't be and that's dull yeah they've they've lost what's made them slip not on this and it's no longer they're no longer interesting in this way as currently constructed as currently written and i just hope that changes next time because i will always be excited at new slipknot music i will always be excited at the prospects of new slipknot music which means for the next 20 years, I'm going to have to emotionally be prepared to be disappointed at new Slipknot music as well. I just hope that isn't the case. Some Slipknot fans aren't going to be happy about this album, but we bit this review. Until sorry. they listen but, to but, it. But, but we but we, but we, we could do nothing but be honest. Uh, Slipknot were my favourite bands of all time. I adore them. This record's bad. Uh, it's not very good at all. Uh, that's where we're going to leave off uh, this episode. Uh, we are going to be back within the next week or so reviewing the new Lamb of God album. As well as that, I am considering doing a solo review on the new Counterparts record. That is very much dependent on the time I have available, though. I I was able to do that on the Straight from the Path album, but that was primarily because because I was on my six weeks break from work at that point. Uh, That is not so much of a guarantee I can do now. But at the very least, we're going to be back in a week's time um, reviewing the new Lamb of God record. Uh, For now, thank you so much for listening, whether or not you hate us. Uh, If you're a Slipknot fan, then we do apologise, but trust us, it's not a good album. Um, Again, we're available on YouTube, our podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, me and Sam will be there. The best way to support us is to like, subscribe or follow, depending on whichever service you're using. And you can follow us on Twitter, at Noise Podcast. We're going to be back in the next week or so talking about the new Lamb of God record. Until then, uh, do listen to the end so far. Uh, Perhaps we are wrong although i don't believe so uh we love you very much uh thank you for listening and we will see you next week when we try about lama god we'll see you later bye